I am the daughter of immigrant parents from Oaxaca, Mexico, which is more in the south of Mexico. My parents immigrated to the U.S. traversing the desert between the U.S. and Mexican border. So if you know geography, there's a desert between Tijuana, Mexico and San Diego, California. And so my parents crossed that with a couple of my older brothers who were toddlers at the time. And then later I was born and raised in San Diego. Welcome to Latinx in Power, a podcast hosted by Thaisa Fernandes. Welcome to Latinx in Power. Today, we are talking with Alejandra Buda. Alejandra started her career working in the healthcare field, but after a quick stint working at a tech company clinic and a gap year in Italy, Ale fell in love with the data science world. Now she's a data scientist at LinkedIn. Ale leveraged her passion for data storytelling, as well as her ability to speak Spanish, French, and Italian to excel on international projects and cross-cultural teams. I'm very excited with this conversation. Welcome to the Latinx in Power. Thank you so much, Saida. Thank you for that intro. Super excited to be here. Thank you for inviting me and creating the space today. Amazing. So in this episode, we'll talk more about Alejandra's perspective of being a first-gen who started working in the healthcare field and pivoted into the data science industry. I'm very excited with that. So first things first, what does it mean to be a Latina for you? Yeah, to me, being Latina and I guess Latinx in general really means resiliency. Um, it's in our blood. It's from the time of colonization to now, our people have faced many challenges, both in our homelands, like poverty, violence, corruption, and in our new lands that we often immigrate to, at least in the case of my parents, like navigating new systems, racism, etc. So as a result, we've become really, really resilient people. And that's a value that I, I carry with me all the time. Yeah, I love that perspective. That's awesome. I feel ourselves very resilient. And it's interesting how I feel like folks from Latin America in general, we are so friendly and we seem so happy. I like that. <laughs> Absolutely. The warmth is something that I miss. I don't think I get enough of in the U.S. Yeah, I remember one day my partner and I, we were taking a lift and I was very hungry and we were kind of like grumpy, you know, and we were going to the restaurant and then the lift driver was like, oh, you both look so happy. And I was like, no, I'm not happy. I'm so hungry. Yeah, yeah that's also a little bit of resiliency to hold on while you're like starting <laughs> and trying to make it and still be nice to people. That's great. And tell me, how did everything start? Yeah, so a little bit of background on myself and my story. I am the daughter of immigrant parents from Oaxaca, Mexico, which is more in the south of Mexico. My parents immigrated to the U.S. traversing the desert between the U.S. and Mexican border. So if you know geography, there's a desert between Tijuana, Mexico and San Diego, California. And so my parents crossed that with a couple of my older brothers who were toddlers at the time. And then later I was born and raised in San Diego. But I have five brothers and I'm the only girl and the only sister. So growing up was very interesting. And then education-wise, I have a bachelor's in public health from Santa Clara University in the Bay Area. And then I decided to do a master's abroad and move to Barcelona. And so I have a master's in data science from the University of Barcelona. But I was pre-med throughout undergrad, then pivoted later into data and tech. And now I work as a data scientist at LinkedIn. I'm in the rotational program within data science. So I've had the opportunity to rotate with three teams thus far in the data org. But essentially, I use data to make informed data-driven decisions on our products and features. Very interesting. Thank you for sharing your story. I'm sure your family and your brothers are very, very proud of you. That's so nice. You have four brothers. <laughs> 
Yeah, it was very interesting. Like it was hard <laughs> growing up sometimes, like the only girl and to be very protected and stuff. But I think that I'm very blessed that it, it also contributed to like my personality. Like I'm, I'm also very resilient because I had to grow up with all boys and like learn to survive and deal with them. Also being in a big family, you have to deal with like lots of different personalities. So that taught me people skills. But yeah, it's been, you always have someone to fight with. That's what I tell people. You know, you're never bored. Life is never dull with that many brothers. <laughs> <laughs> totally, totally. I have only one brother so I have only one person to fight with so you you had options that's great (laughs) (laughs) and in this episode we want to get a little bit deeper into the data science uh, world so how was your process pivoting from public health to data science Yeah, I totally stumbled into data science. I had no idea what it was. Even now, I'm still like figuring out what it encompasses because it's so large and very broad and can touch many different aspects. But essentially, I was pre-med all throughout undergrad. I think a common story within first-gen children is that we are told to like get a good job, a financially stable job, because our parents sacrifice a lot for us. So that's kind of like our responsibility is to like do well. And so I picked physician assistant, like in the healthcare field. So I was pre-med all through undergrad. After college, I got a job at an on-site clinic at a tech company. And that's when I saw like how tech could revolutionize very antiquated industries, like even medicine, where like in the medical field, they were still writing on paper. But at this clinic, like everything was electronic, the reminders, the setting up, the check-ins were on iPads. I was just like, wow, this is the power that tech has. And I saw it from an equity perspective. Like my parents had never achieved that level of service in a healthcare space. And I was like, wow, tech can not only make it better, but also can level a playing field in a sense for people who don't have access to healthcare. They can have better healthcare at a cheaper cost if we like were to really revolutionize the industry with technology. So that's where I first was introduced to it. I sort of still stayed in the space and I kept working at the clinic for a year. And then I decided to apply to physician assistant school. And I was dating someone at the time who was in the US Air Force stationed in Italy. Um, we had met while I was studying abroad in France and he, we met at Oktoberfest in Germany. So after I did the one year at the clinic, he he was like, you should come to gap year in Italy while you apply to PA school and figure out what you're going to do. And I was like, yeah, that's a good idea. So I took a year and a half to just like find myself and, and reflect and apply. And I had gotten an offer to the University of Utah. I had gotten an offer to interview. And then it hit me that like, I wasn't doing this for myself. I was doing it for my parents. Like they are the ones that wanted me to do medicine because they thought that that was a good path for me. And I had never really stopped to like really connect with myself and figure out if that's what I wanted to do until I had this opportunity in Italy to just, you know, sit with myself and reflect. And so then I went into an existential crisis and I was like, oh no, I've been working towards medicine forever. Do I really want to pivot now? Like, what do I want to do? And so I started investing investigating grad programs and I found one at the University of Barcelona that was tailored to like non-traditional degrees so it came with a one-month boot camp um, very intensive boot camp and then afterwards you enter the master's program and I had already had all the math and the stats from the prerequisite work I had done for PA school so 
I broke the news to my parents and they also kind of freaked out. <laughs> they were like, they didn't even really know what I was going to do. They were like, what is this data stuff? What is this tech stuff? Like, are you sure? Like, what kind of like lifestyle are you going to live? Like, are you just going to throw it all away? And so I think that was one of the harder things was to like get them to understand that this was a good decision and to like make sure that they weren't going to freak out too much once I left medicine behind. And so, yeah, I decided to apply, got in, I did the master's program and it's been history ever since. I love it. Like data science is totally different from medicine in many aspects, but also very similar in the sense that it's, it's a puzzle and it's still very analytical. And yeah, I'm one of a handful of Latinas in data science. And so I'm hoping that more people hear this story and follow me also. And I, as I keep the door open behind me for them to enter this space as well. Yeah, totally. And you kind of like started to answer one question that I was thinking while you're talking about our family. I think like tech is still so new and imagine from our parents like perspective, right? Because especially right now we have so many different roles and for them to think about it is so hard because they have no idea, right? And then it makes sense for them wanting us to do safe, like quote, <laughs> professions that they know for like a lot of time, right? Medicine, like becoming a lawyer, maybe. I think those two are the most common <laughs> ones. And then you decided to do something totally different. I feel I'm still teaching my family to know what I do. And they still don't understand it. And it's so interesting because we had a lot of conversations about it. For example, my mom is a teacher and she doesn't have any idea about what I do. She's like, oh, she's in a lot of meetings and she launches products. <laughs> just, she doesn't know, but it's just like, what is this product? She's like, I have no idea. She doesn't know. And, it's, and I understand it's difficult for them to understand because it's totally far from their reality, right? Yeah, I wish that it was more normalized in our community. Like, I wish a lot more people were aware that this exists because tech has the ability to change our generational wealth and to build it very quickly. And so, yeah, my mom still has no idea what I do, and I, but she loves and sees that I can be home, that I work from home and she gets to be close to me. And so she loves that. And she understands that I have lots of meetings. And she's also very proud of the fact that she knows that there's not that many Latinas doing what I'm doing. And so that brings her, I think, a lot of pride to know that like her daughter's trailblazing in a sense for people. So yeah, it's funny. She, if you ask her what I do, she can't tell you, but I can feel but like the pride that she has. And so it's a very cute feeling. Yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful. And we are definitely like opening the doors for other family members or inspiring. Maybe the newer generation will be easier. And one question that I often receive is how do we get into tech? And which advice would you give for someone who wants to work in tech? without like a technical background or computer science degree, for example? Yeah, it's definitely doable. I mean, I hope people are more aware now than before that you don't need to have a computer science degree. You can pivot into tech. I know people that I work with have history backgrounds or they have liberal arts degrees and then pivoted into tech. And so um, it's definitely doable. I'm going to speak on data science since that's what I know the most. And it's very easy to pick up some of these languages. Like SQL is the language that I use the most every day. And it's very similar to English. So you can pick it up without having like a C, C++ or Java or any of the other languages. Without understanding those, you can still very easily pick up SQL. So I always tell people that taking a language course in SQL is the biggest, literally will open so many doors. Learning that one language is essential for data science 
sense. You can get a data analyst role and start there and then continue working up and building skills and then pivot into data science as well. But also I think it takes like resiliency. I think it's not easy to break into tech because of so many factors. Like for me personally, I know that the interview was really hard because I didn't know anybody who had done a tech interview and it's so specific. It's very tailored to the industry. And so I was watching YouTube videos and like reading lots of different things. And so it's not that you're not made to break in. It's that the system is very unique and sometimes hard if you don't know someone already in it because it is very customized and very unique. There's no other sort of interview process in other industries that are similar to this. Yeah, that's a great point. I feel even the way you're writing your resume, it's very specific. I remember when I moved to the US, I didn't have a resume for many years because I lived in Brazil my entire life. And like in my industry, people knew me and I just had LinkedIn and it was enough. And then I moved to the US. Oh my God, I need the resume. I had no idea how to do this. And if you don't have the resources, if you don't know someone, it's very challenging. I know we have Google, right? But at the same time, it's so specific. So if you don't know the exact keywords, you're not going to find what is going to help you to move the needle. So I definitely agree with you. Yeah, I think that's one thing that adds first gen you kind of learn is that you don't know, like you tend to not know anyone who's done any of these things because you're the first sort of generation in your family that's doing it. And so tech was no different. And so that's why I was like, okay, Ale, like giving myself a little pep talk, like we have done many other things that we had no idea how to do. And so we're going to figure it out. And so then you become resourceful. And I think YouTube, although like all these new resources out there are so helpful to like, and are really good to leverage for people who want to break in. Yeah. Amazing. really want to bring different perspectives and journeys in this podcast for me this is very very important i don't believe there's one way of doing things there's a hundred thousand ways of doing things there's no right or wrong and when we talked before this episode Dale, you mentioned about being the result of the american dream although it is a privilege it's also a challenge and i love to hear more about being part of the first generation on latinx Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think we've been throwing around first gen, or I've been mentioning it here and there. So let me take the time now to sort of define it in case listeners aren't familiar. But essentially, first generation children like me are the children of immigrant parents. And we're the first generation of U.S. citizens in our family. So I've heard us described as sort of bridges nestled between our parents' homeland and the new country that they immigrated to, which I think is a really great analogy for us, both emotionally and physically. We're kind of like that tie between both identities. And sometimes you hear people say, ni da aquí, ni da allá. So we're not from here nor there. But actually, I like to think of it as we're both from here and from there. So that's a little background on, on first gen. But yeah, so to me, being first gen often does feel like I'm like a physical manifestation of my parents' American dream of their hopes and dreams and everything that they had like aspire for their children. And so it's both an honor and a burden, as you mentioned. It's an honor in the sense that when I do really big things, I feel immense pride because I know that I'm breaking into something like data science or into tech for all of us, for my parents and for the ones who came before me who couldn't do it. And so I'm bringing in our cultura into these spaces. I'm telling our stories at the table now and I'm validating my parents' sacrifice. 
but at the same time when something doesn't go my way or I in my head I fail quote unquote it feels immensely magnified because of that so I'm learning to not put so much pressure on myself to do the best I can and I think that because we had to grow up so quickly as children of immigrants I read that we like often skip developmental stages because you have to like help your parents figure out how to fill out these forms where to go get their social security cards or how taxes work in the U.S. so you grow up really really quickly and so I'm learning trying to learn at least to slow down a little bit also and like give myself grace and celebrate my wins but yeah I think that one of the things that I really wanted to sort of emphasize on this episode also is that like a lot of first-gen people, we tend to be balancing a lot of things at the same time. So we're not only balancing our careers, but also our family obligations. You know, we spent our whole lives helping our parents navigate the systems. And that didn't stop just because we graduated or just because we got jobs. Now, now the system's changed. Now they're older. So now I need to help them figure out Medicare and figure out like retirement. And so it's like we're often, at least I am often balancing like meetings and work with like following up with doctors on referrals and taking my mom to the doctor because she like doesn't speak English and she still doesn't understand a lot of the like nuances of how healthcare works in the US. So I think that's one thing that I accepting as like a first gen child is that like first gen doesn't stop. Like I could be CTO and I will still have to like peace out and be like I need to take my mom to the doctor. So that's one thing that I wanted people to be aware of that as first gen we're often like juggling many hats. And even financially, like I think a lot of responsibility falls on first gen children who have good jobs, who are flexible, that kind of puts even more burden on us because we tend to be the ones who are the most flexible in our family to take our parents to the doctor or the more financially stable. So we have friends who like are their parents 401k, for example, because their parents were undocumented for some years that they didn't have any of these benefits and they were paid under the table. So now that they're older, the children and the parents are trying to figure out what the next retirement plans will look like and stuff. But I guess in a nutshell, that's what first gen feels like. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. That's a really good perspective. I don't see a lot of people talking about that. So thank you so much for sharing. It's definitely a lot of responsibility, a lot of pressure as well, and a privilege. So I think it's all of those things like mixed, <laughs> sometimes more one thing than the other. But yeah. Yeah, thanks. I've learned that I think it doesn't get talked enough about it. And so I think by allowing myself to share my story and to be vulnerable, it gives other people permission to also be vulnerable and, and share their story. So thank you yeah. again for creating the space and time for me to talk about this. Yeah, of course. Another topic that is very interesting that I love to talk more. So you lived in France, Mexico and Italy besides the United States. And how was your experience living and studying abroad? This is the dream, at least my dream. It's fantastic. <laughs> Yeah, thank you. Studying abroad, living abroad is great. It really helped me become a global citizen to understand like how intertwined politics and like what one country does over here can magnify and impact other country over there. So yeah, it made me more aware of how interconnected we are as people also. It also helped me improve my languages. I'm a better cook because I was able to like learn different recipes in different countries. It was a great experience overall. Highly recommend. Oh my God, you lived in France, Italy, and Mexico. Like great food options, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> And 
And one interesting point that I want to go deeper, I don't see a lot of people talking about that as well, so I'd love to pick your brain. So you mentioned that you study in Barcelona and the fact that how students sometimes don't consider studying abroad because they are too focused on Ivy Leagues, elite schools in the US, so they don't consider studying abroad. So I'd love to hear more about your experience and bringing this perspective So my decision to study abroad was one, because I was already kind of in Italy, but two, also a very big financial one because data science programs, master programs in the US are so expensive. And I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to afford a two-year master's degree at a really notable school. So then I started looking at alternatives and found the University of Barcelona one. And it was a quarter of the price for one year. And it was one year only. And I got to live abroad in Spain. And the nice part about living in Barcelona is that you can actually afford to go out as a student. Like you can afford one euro beers, three euro beers. Whereas I remember going to school in the Bay Area, it was so expensive, like schooling wise. And to go out was really expensive. So I felt like I didn't have as many adventures as I had in Barcelona. In Barcelona, I was able to travel, take the train everywhere. It was still like a really good quality of life as a student. But yeah, I think that it's important for people to remember that a lot of these companies are large enough with very international offices in various countries. At least in my case, it wasn't as big of a deal as I was worried about and as I thought. I was a little bit nervous coming back to the US and I think it was a little bit more just in my head because when I came back, I realized that like... I had the skills and I did have a degree, even if it wasn't from Harvard or Yale, but it was from a good school and I could do the work. And so I think that for people who don't have the financial ability or even just want to get out of the U.S. for a little bit, like doing a degree abroad is a great opportunity to live abroad, get a great experience without sacrificing the quality of an education. And a lot of the programs in Europe are actually taught in English. So you can go do a degree without knowing the native language and still be fine. Yeah, amazing perspective. I love when you said that. I actually never thought about that. I remember when I moved to the US, I did my BA and my MBA back in Brazil. And when I moved to the US, I always felt bad because people didn't know where I studied, which kind of makes sense, right? It was in another country, but I felt bad. But at the same time, I love where I study. I learned a lot and I'm very grateful about that. I was feeling bad because they didn't know. And we know that sometimes there are some companies, whatever they look for, like those elite schools. But you can bring this perspective. Like I learned I'm awesome. I have experience. Plus, I might have less student debt or might not have at all, which is an amazing feeling. As you said, it was one quarter of a semester in US. That's insane. That's a lot of money. So it's a really good perspective. This is a really important thing that we should keep in mind and stop feeling bad about where we study because it doesn't matter. In the end, nothing matters, right? It matters your experience, what you can bring to the table. Absolutely. Yeah. I've gotten lots of compliments actually as I rotate throughout the data org about how a lot of people love how I could bring an international lens to a lot of the problems that we're solving because we it's such an international market, the US. We are like, you know, from everywhere. So having that international lens is a lot of value at these tables. Yeah, absolutely. And it sounds amazing to live in Barcelona as well. I love Barcelona. <laughs> 
Yeah, so cool. Yeah, we are getting to the end of this episode. I want to thank you again for your time and your perspective and your openness to share your story. It's very inspiring. And where can people find you? Yeah, they can find me at LinkedIn under Alejandra Bular. Always happy to connect. Feel free to ping me. If you're trying to bring into data science, always happy to give my opinion and suggestions on that. So yeah, feel free. Awesome. Thank you so much. That's it for today, everyone. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you taking the time to listen to us, to support us. The Latinx Empower is a 100% independent podcast, and we are here for you to share different journeys and very inspiring Latinx leaders all over the world. I hope you enjoyed it, and we'll have more. We'll have a lot more episodes coming in the next weeks. Thank you so much. 